Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. My name is Tim Peterson. I am the Senior Media Editor at Digiday. And I'm Kaylee Barber, Media Editor. All right. So Kaylee, this week you spoke with Shira Atkins, who's the co-founder and CRO of Wonder Media Network, which is a podcast network. Um, so our colleague and senior media reporter at Digiday, Sarah Guaglioni, has been writing a lot about the business of podcasting um, over the past couple of years. And I think one trend that she's really picked up on this year is kind of the rise of programmatic advertising with respect to podcasting. Is that a trend that Wonder Media Network has hopped on? So we actually talk a lot about programmatic uh, advertising in podcasts in the intro part of this uh, conversation. Like, that's really kind of how we start out talking. Um, it's interesting. Shira really is kind of against the growth of programmatic ads in audio. So Wonder Media Network does not have any programmatic ad placements um, in any of its podcasts. It doesn't sell it either because they have that 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 sales side of their business obviously they don't sell it they don't you know help advertisers looking for that directly they'll work with partners um, to help target specific audiences uh, like third party you know vendors but they don't carry it for their own shows so we talk a lot about how this has been growing and how larger podcast uh you know companies and networks like Spotify and iHeart have been growing programmatic ad ads as you know part of their revenue uh, lines and her rationale for it is it's the scale like they're going after scale with it but it really cheapens the actual ad experience for the audience and it becomes less impactful so uh, later we talk about you know the branded content um, arm of the business so they make about 50 percent of their revenue from branded podcasts and those are either you know standalone series or episodes or bonus episodes or even just you know branded placements in podcasts that exist already but they focus on the creative of it and they want to be really avant-garde with their approach to, you know, ads and, and sponsored content and audio because that's how you keep audiences engaged enough, especially when it's so easy to skip through an ad in a podcast. Got it. Okay. So, I mean, branded content, you know, typically higher priced, you know, more custom, um, but more custom for the advertiser, higher priced for the publisher, which is good for the publisher, but can be something of a tough sell to advertisers, especially when the economic climate, not so favorable. We've been obviously reporting and talking a lot about the economic downturn. How has the economic downturn affected Wonder Media's branded content business, given that, you know, these are typically the types of opportunities that advertisers are more discerning with investing in. Yeah. So we talk a bit uh, about this as well. Um, and really, she has noticed a slowdown in RFPs uh, coming in. So requests for proposals from advertisers. And it's something that you she just has to kind of work against. And what she's done internally is she used to be the only seller on uh, on the team. Now she has uh, a team of four or five people that are focused on these kind of pre and post sale um, parts of the company. And 
they've needed to be really quite aggressive with outbounds. So reaching out, trying to hone relationships with advertisers to keep that, you know, revenue coming in. And they do still have, uh, you know, a decent amount of campaigns that they're working on and in interest. But she did say that it is, you know, slowing. Right now they would be selling uh, inventory for Women's uh, History Month and they haven't gotten any interest yet on that. So, or any requests for, you know, proposals on that. So we talk a, a lot about that. At the same time, she said the CPMs are still pretty good, uh, that they haven't really fallen. So it's not like, you know, the the business is not still doing well. It's just it's more on her team to, you know, make those connections and get those campaigns sold. Got it. Okay. So podcast episode about the business of podcasting. I'm excited to hear. Thanks, Haley. I'll let you take it away. Hey, Cheryl. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm okay. It's good to see you. Good to see you too. All right. So you actually were on the podcast about two years ago. Um, different host at the time. But I really want to kind of use this opportunity to talk about what's changed in two years because I feel like you were on uh, at a point in the pandemic where it's still kind of early, but I feel like a lot of um, ad spending kind of had come back to a degree at that point. Um, you know, the stop start was really abrupt in 2020. So I feel like maybe at the time you were dealing with that, kind of coming out of that. Now we're in another kind of economic slowdown. And I feel like one of the big conversations that we're following at Digiday is really what this is doing to the ad industry, um, to ad spending. So I'm really curious about how 2020 and 2022 are comparable from like what this is doing to ad revenue, but also how you've, you know, adjusted your business during that time um, and how you're kind of handling the, I guess, slowdown now based on the learnings that you've gotten, you know, over the course of two years, really. Um, but before we get into all of that, uh, just for our listeners, um, it'd be great to kind of get an overview of what Wonder Media Network uh, focuses on. I know you guys have, you know, original podcasts, but you're also uh, a network, you know, a branded content studio. You create like, you know, branded podcasts. Um, so if you could kind of give us an overview of like the the podcast that you create and then also that business as well. Yeah, of course. Um, so we started the company in 2018, uh, initially with the idea that we were going to create content primarily focused on women and underrepresented voices with a really strong focus in politics, business, and culture. Um, that is still largely our mission and our model. Um, at this point, about 50% of our revenue is coming from the brand studio arm of our business, where we create branded podcasts, as you said. It's really, and I should say, we're a bootstrapped company. We've never taken outside funding. We have about 26 employees now. I think when I spoke to Brian in 2020, we probably had 10 employees. So a lot has changed, um, mm -hmm. which is, I guess, a good segue into this. The answer that I have for you is like, it's extremely hard to disentangle. Is it a market slowdown? Is it the way that the podcast industry has changed over the past two years? Um, is it simply the way in which there's a shift to programmatic um, that has affected us. I feel 
in so many ways. Like we're dealing with the same issues that we were dealing with when we started the company in 2018 as we're dealing with now when there's like two and a half million podcasts and growing. So I wish I could say, I wish I could pinpoint and say there's just one issue that's affecting us. Um, I would say that in 2020, some of the initial conglomeration was starting to happen in the podcasting ecosystem, but a lot of the big sweeping changes really happened in 2021. Um, And now by the end of 2022, like all of the major distributors have made their plays um, and they're waiting to see those bets play out. And so I'm talking about Amazon Music and Spotify and iHeart and Apple. And, you know, each of them have sort of acquired what they have wanted to acquire, both from an ad tech perspective and a content perspective. And now they're trying to grow their businesses with the same exact tools that we have as an independent network, um, which in many ways is what I love about this space, that in that the playing field is somewhat equal. The challenges are the same. Um, but in so many ways, it's obviously incredibly unequal because iHeart has a massive, massive reach um, and every advertiser just wants to go to a place like iHeart. Um, so anyway, it's a sort of circuitous way of answering your question, which is that I would say, yes, like the ad business is um, in a precarious moment now, similar to how it felt at the beginning of the of the pandemic. And also we doubled our business during the pandemic, both in terms of revenue and in terms of size of the company. So I, I sort of feel like if you can find your niche, um, and that's our whole business, you can always find dollars. And everyone is hip to podcast advertising now in a way that I think didn't exist a couple of years ago. Um, and so we are able to, we're not able to educate people as much. That used to be our edge, our way in the door. Um, and it also means that folks have specific budgets that are allocated for audio and the easiest, most, you know, quote unquote, efficient way of spending that is often through programmatic, which I think is actually like a tragedy for the podcasting ecosystem writ large. I definitely want to dig into that because I feel like, you know, programmatic and audio has been this ongoing, uh, area of development, obviously, but also a lot of trying to figure out what that would look like. Um, because I think for a long time, it was that idea that, um, you know, host-read ads are going to be the most, you know, effective for, uh, I guess, ads in original podcasts, right? Like having that voice that people are comfortable with and, you know, enjoy listening to on a weekly basis or even daily basis, you know, makes that ad all the more impactful. Um, I think that's really been a, a standard kind of shared belief amongst a lot of people. But you're right, like, I and this is something that you had said a couple years ago on the podcast um, and looking back at that, like, the scale piece of it is really, I think, what advertisers ultimately want. And so if you could get that scale for a fraction of the price with just, uh, you know, early create it and drop it in ad, it, it makes it makes sense, I guess, from their perspective, right? But I would love to hear more about your thoughts around programmatic and scale for scale's sake, because I do think that there's a larger conversation about what that ultimately does to the audience experience too. Yeah. It's a comp it's a complicated issue because as you said, I totally relate. Like if I were PNG, <laughs> I would also want to just reach as many people as possible in the exact DMAs that I'm 
that I'm trying to reach and that I know that's where my audience is, that's who's going to buy my product. Um, that's so much more valuable to me than trying to spend a lot of time on some beautiful ad that's going to go to a smaller audience. Um, but the flip side is, of course, the how this is feeling to the audience that's receiving the ad and if it's as impactful. Um, I absolutely think there are certain instances in which programmatic and the evolution of podcasting ad tech is incredible. Like I, I got an RFP actually just yesterday um, from a renewable energy company that wants to only target people in Texas. And on the RFP, they said, we don't want any national audio campaigns. We only want Texas. So what that signaled to me is like typically when we get RFPs, we're thinking about, okay, how can we create something beautiful that's like matching with our original content? In this case, what they want is for us to create a beautiful ad for them that then they can run in particular segments. And we don't have that capability. So I reached out to my pals that are 19 and I was like, okay, let's go in on this RFP together. We'll do the creative, you do the placement. Um, and in that instance, like it make, I understand why this company wants to just reach these particular demos. Um, but I think I sort of noted this before, this concept of efficiency um, that media planners um, are asked to find for their brands um, often I think is actually laziness. And I don't think it's efficient to just scale shitty ads um, writ large. Like, okay, yeah, I want to reach 25 to 34-year-olds across like a particular demo and here's like some ad copy, have some announcer read it and interrupts the podcast. It's just like a bad listening experience. And I think the ad tech still has a ways to go before even that kind of integration is good. Um, so it's a complicated issue. We don't have the capability to run this nor the scale. So when it comes up, I like to find partners who I think are good at this. And I, I do think our 19 is one of the best. Um, mm -hmm. I think Spotify has a ways to go as does iHeart. Yeah. And I guess going into that like argument about what it does to the listening experience and like the audience side of it too, it's really easy to skip through an ad on a podcast. I do it all the time. Even like I usually will listen to the first go at like a host read ad, especially if it's like a, you know, comedy podcast I'm listening to and it's a comedian delivering it. Those are funny. You know, I give it the listen after the first time, it's really easy to skip through. And that's what I do. And I feel like it is so important to have that minute be entertaining in its own right or ed educational in its own right. And I'm, I really want to get into that, like, you know, branded content, uh, you know, side of your business, because I feel like that approach is unique to a degree. I feel like, you know, to what you're saying about the larger podcast kind of uh, networks and conglomerates or whatever, they have like a lot of capabilities, but I don't see the actual branded episode or a branded series as as much um, dedicating like a, a full amount of time to, you know, a, a mini series or, you know, a few episodes here and there. Um, I would love to hear more about that side of it because I feel like when you're, you mentioned that originally your like, I guess, shtick for getting advertisers to work with you is the educational part of it. Now that a lot of people are briefed in it, I'm curious, like, you know, is the branded episode something that is your 
way of getting advertisers, you know, engaged still, like working on larger deals? Like how does that kind of uh, help you stand out amongst like everything, you know, everyone else that are now working in this industry? Yeah. So we, we create branded content both as integrated content within our originals and we also create standalone branded content. Um, typically for a large network like, you know, Odyssey or iHeart or Acast or whatever, like when they sell a branded podcast, what they're actually selling is the media and the branded podcast is thrown in and the production cost is just sort of eaten by the media spend. So there's like a million dollar buy and so the cost of the $80,000 podcast or whatever is just thrown in. Um, for us, we are creating like super high quality branded podcasts and creating, in some instances, marketing plans that aren't just about scaling the media within the podcasting ecosystem. Um, and when I think about branded podcasts, I think this has changed. It used to be that everyone was like, oh, I want to create, like, GE's The Message. I want to create a hit in my own right. It's impossible for branded podcasts at this point to be hits. Um, nearly impossible. I shouldn't entirely rule it out. Um, and so when we speak with our partners about their marketing goals for their branded podcasts, we try to let them know that this isn't going to get 20, 30, 50,000 downloads per episode, but who are the people that you want to actually be listening to this? Um, and what are the metrics beyond just download numbers? And then we try to back into that from a editorial and also marketing perspective. Um, so that's on the branded podcast side for the integrated branded content We'll sell a sponsorship of one of our original podcasts and either create integrated branded segments or drop bonus episodes in the feed or do like a series within a series, as you mentioned. And the sell there is alignment with our original shows, which again, it's like all focused on amplifying underrepresented voices. Sometimes our sponsors want to work with us specifically because of the host, sometimes because of the content. Um, and even there too, we will add like amplification. So if they rightfully want to reach a certain target number, um, but we can't offer that, like our show, Manica, gets about between 500,000 and 700,000 downloads per month. That's sometimes not enough <laughs> for a brand. They want to reach 5 million people in a month. So we'll do this like beautiful package around Manica and then scale that on a sister network or something like that. Mm. And... So I guess going back to the um, the branded series, like you mentioned that you can't promise it'll be a runaway hit. It's a very difficult ask right now. And, and it makes sense. The I think discoverability of podcasts is a little difficult. There are millions that exist. So the competition there is just really steep, right? When you are working, though, in that space and you are creating a project for a, a company. You mentioned that it's it's more about like, you know, the demographics that they want to reach, the impact that they want to have with it. But what are some of the maybe examples you can give of ones that have worked well in achieving, you know, the goals that you were able to come up with? I'm curious, like, you know, once a, a sponsor, an advertiser is willing to part with the idea that it's going to be a, you know, uh, maybe even like a hundred million or 100,000 download per month kind of thing, what is the next thing that they are hoping to achieve? Yeah. It 
really depends on the sponsor um, or partner. Um, in some cases, like we make podcasts for the Trade Desk and Greenhouse and other brands like that, where their branded podcasts are part of their sales enablement pathway. And they often will bring guests on the podcast who are potential targets. And it's the sales tool. It's, it makes sense. Um, and so for them, it's like, is this something that my sales team can package? Is this something that will have legs in our blog content and our newsletter content and our social content? Um, can we tell really inspiring stories that will go viral within the community that is our target? Um, and so they're certainly not, they don't care about getting even 5,000 downloads per episode. Like if the right 500 people listen to that episode, then they're golden. Um, and also just the power of getting their host in a room with a potential client. I would say that same sort of idea applies even with narrative content. So we make all of the um, branded podcasts for Pfizer. They're one of our longest standing clients. Um, and we've made several like really intricately produced narrative style series um, about like the history of vaccines, for example. And for them, they care about trade press. They care about people within the pharma space thinking that Pfizer is doing cutting edge and beautiful work. Um, in part, it's a recruitment tool. Um, it's a reputational tool. Um, so this is like where our specialty lies, um, I think is like coming up with business strategies um, beyond just let's create something hit worthy. Um, that said, like I'd be excited and I wish that more brands were open to the possibility of doing things that are a little more avant-garde. Um, I've seen a little bit of this, like um, Pushkin actually just put out this really awesome branded podcast called Legacy of Speed um, with a track and field brand. And it, they brought this incredible story of this one coach. And it's just like a story about this amazing track and field coach that's brought to you by this brand. And they have really cool integrated segments and it just makes a lot of sense. And it is in its own right interesting. So like, that's, I think, the right direction for brands to go in um, if they want to create something that's a little bit more commercially viable. And I'd love to be able to do more of that work. Um, but I like the niche that we've made for ourselves with corporates. And it's a good way for them to dip their toes into the audio space too, because if they start with a branded podcast, they could then become an advertiser. Yeah, I think that... B2B application, that very like, you know, trade approach is really interesting um, and makes a lot of sense to your point. Like if you get it in front of the right, you know, 50 people and you're trying to recruit, then, you know, that could be a good pathway to, to doing that. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. I think, uh, you know, kind of getting into the advertiser side and, and more of the... Um, I guess, macroeconomic, uh, you know, space, because that's, you know, a hot topic, as I mentioned. Um, but I am curious if you are seeing changes to what advertisers are willing to spend, um, if their audio budgets have shrunk at all, if they are, uh, you know, we did touch on programmatic, but if they are leaning more into that space because it's cheaper, faster, can turn it off really quickly if needed, um, uh, and also, I you know we we talked about it, and you mentioned you don't have the capabilities for like actually distributing programmatically. But do you carry programmatic ad space in your like original podcasts? So we don't, um, because most of our ads, the reason that we're able to 
demand such high CPMs or not CPMs at all is that we're selling embedded ads in perpetuity. It makes me feel like an old lady whenever people ask me about this because they're like, I can't believe you don't do DAI, dynamic ad insertion. Um, but it works for us. I don't. I just don't know what to say about it except for that it works for us. Um, and it also makes it hard for me to answer your question because the dollars that we're getting, I feel, are not the dollars in question. Like, it is hard to sell, period. I think, yes, absolutely, it's gotten a little bit harder over the past couple of months. Um, I think budgets are being cut or reallocated or pushed back. But we're not getting like dollars typically from like Mindshare or whatever, choose your WPP agency. We're getting it brand direct and we're getting it sometimes from DEI budgets or um, budgets that are specifically allocated to support women-led or uh, black-led media. And in those instances, like that budget needs to be spent. Um, So it's slightly different than like the big marketing budgets that are being cut. And I think that has provided a moat for us that is fairly unique in the space. Um, but I won't lie and say that, like, it's not really fucking hard. It's really hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's that, that's really interesting. And to kind of get into that, like, CPM area, too, um, you mentioned that it not having the programmatic option enables that your CPMs and sounds like flat rate fees to be standardly high for you guys. Um are you able to kind of share what those typically are, what the range is? Yeah. So we we certainly do, you know, offer efficiencies, um, to use that fun word, uh, to partners who will, like, take out ads for a whole year on a show. And we do, to keep one foot in the CPM world, we have a weekly political news talk show called Majority 54 that we sell on a CPM. And the lowest we'll go on that is, like, $18. But we sell ads on that for $35 CPMs. Um, and the ads just look a little different um, than the $18 ones, of course. Um, so, and we do have a few partners on that show that toe the line between like a more of a sponsor and more of a CPM. So like Athletic Greens, which is advertising everywhere, or AG1, I should call them. Um, they, we have a model on that show where they take out like two or three ads per month. And there's um, an affiliate, there's like a flat rate CPM, there's an affiliate piece. And then we also do like cool segments that are brought to you by that have a higher CPM when we do those once a month. So I try to bake in those kinds of deals when we have an advertiser that I know wants to spend in the space and that I know works with the show. Yeah. And with the CPM deal versus, uh, you know, flat rates, um, is do you only kind of reserve the CPMs for people who have the long term deals, like a year long or several, you know, months? Um, the truth is, we just only sell CPM on like one or two shows. Um, or like, let's say we haven't sold a sponsorship on a show that we need to release, then we'll open it up for CPM. But even in those cases, we try to do flat rates. Um, like it'll, it can back into a CPM, but we, I'm sure that some of our partners find us annoying for doing this. I just, I don't, I think it's demeaning to the content. I know it's like their best way of measuring it and like they need to prove to their clients, but I just think it's a, it's, it doesn't, I don't think it's really good for anybody. Yeah. Because it's contingent on the audience piece and the after it's released kind of thing. 
We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, but please don't be like me and skip over it. We'll have more from Sheer Atkins when we come back. Well, I guess like how many of your clients are like on the advertising side are focused on like trying to get audiences to make a purchase or like actual the the consumer like commercial side of it versus more um, of the business trade kind of side of it. Like, do you have uh, that commercial piece or does it just so happen that a lot of your uh, partners are more, I guess, business leaning? Yeah. So we, one of our biggest clients right now, which I feel like it's possible that last time that I spoke to Brian, it was also the case because we just did another deal with them. But Mercedes-Benz is one of our biggest clients and they are focused on purchase intent and we will create brand lift studies for them after the fact. So there's not like a great offer code to go and buy Mercedes after you listen to a podcast episode, um, but they want to have a foot in the ecosystem and they want to be aligned with podcasts that represent some portion of their brand in our case, like to show that they care about women. Um, and also they're, they care about like more women buying their cars. Um, so in that instance, like, no, there's no offer code. There's not like a direct CTA, but we are running brand lift studies and we work with Veritonic, um, whom we love, um, to make sure that like there is a positive affinity for the brand after the fact. Um, we, I'm trying to think if we've had any, we've, we've definitely like worked with brands that like want you to buy the deodorant or buy the mattress or whatever, um, in a sponsor style as well. But again, it's just like we're tapping a different budget um, when we do that kind of work anyway. And we're trying to create content that they will also want to share on their own channels. Um, And like, I don't know, for example, recently we worked with Capital One on a podcast sponsorship. And Capital One actually does a lot of podcast advertising. They're a client of Horizon. They spend a lot in the audio space. Um, But this deal was not through Horizon. It was Brand Direct, and it was sponsorship of a show hosted by Candace Parker, the WNBA star about parenting. And all of the integrated segments were about um, like parents at Capital One. So so Candace would like interview these amazing people at Capital One. And then they used those segments as a recruiting tool and like an internal morale boosting tool. Um, So it's, yeah, it's just a different model. Yeah. And are you trying to sell that kind of maybe more indirect or like brand kind of awareness side of it more so than the consumer, you know, use this code to get 50% off at checkout kind of thing? Like, is that preferred for you, like ultimately? Yes, definitely. Because we want to make things that are creative and unique. Um, And I, it's so much more interesting and the budgets will be much larger. And what I'd love is to eventually be able to position sponsor, sponsorship as even less transactional, um, where we're helping to create an overall audio strategy and the sponsorship of the particular podcast that we've sold is just one piece of that, um, which I think we can do. And we've started to do with some of our clients and especially ones that have crossed over from the brand studio side to the original side. Got it. Got it. And um, so obviously you have the capability to do really long form audio, uh, like branded content or um, sponsorships. Do you like 
have a, a standard formula for the ad spots in your original podcast that you try to stick to? Like, do you have a minimum, you know, 30 seconds that someone has to meet, you know, twice in an episode? Or what's the kind of breakdown of uh, ad spots that you find works for you and your clients? Um, so on Majority 54, where we sell CPM, it's, I think we do between four and six, 30 or 60 second spots on an episode. Um, six is at the very high end that would like include a pre-roll and a post-roll. We're really trying to pack it in. Um, on our other originals where we sell sponsorship, we usually only have one sponsor for an entire season or an entire month. And we'll put the placement wherever we think the placement makes the most sense. And it will be as long or as short as we think is most valuable. So in some cases, that's a brought to you by at the top and then an extended segment at the end. In other cases, it's like, you know, three minutes of the podcast and then you do the segment. Like it really depends. And in other cases, it's like there's a pre-roll that introduces the episode and says, by the way, come back tomorrow for a bonus episode from X brand. Um, So again, we have like one foot in the traditional podcasting model with Majority 54 and then the rest of it is all like we be as creative as we can for whomever the client is. Yeah. And so for like the bonus episode example, do you find that your audience really tends to engage, you know, they're listening to the weekly uh, podcast, they have their like, you know, routine with that. Do you find that the bonus episodes, you know, tend to get their attention pretty well? Yeah, remarkably, Um, because you would imagine some drop-off. And usually we find the most drop-off if we're doing a bonus episode. Like, let's say it's a show that is released Monday through Friday, a daily show, and then we have a bonus episode on a Saturday. That will have the most drop-off because the listener's not used to listening on Saturday. Um, But if it's a show that releases every Tuesday and one of the Tuesdays is a bonus episode there will be basically consistent listening across the board. And again, part of the reason that that happens is like, it's not like the bonus episode has nothing to do with the rest of the content. It's like still the same host, still the same like universe of content. It like makes sense for the listener. Um, So that's really important to us. And again, given that it's a smaller play, right? It's maybe 50,000 downloads as opposed to 5 million. It's really important to us that like our client is getting all of those listens. Yeah. And um, you mentioned it's still usually the same host for like a bonus episode. Um, How important is the host read model to this entire kind of advertising business? Do you need to like, because I think like, and this is actually, I think something that you had talked about with Brian a a couple of years ago too, that like celebrity piece of it that a lot of podcasts lean into, like using a, a very you know, big name to head up a, a series, especially at launch. Um, but when it comes to host red, there's that like familiarity. Uh, how important is host red and having that name associated with an ad um, to the clients that you work with? And then also to your kind of, I guess, recipe for getting, you know, the the lessons you need, the, the metrics you need. I think it's essential. Um And for clients, it's typically a requirement. Um, I think we probably have some instances where we'll bring in a producer also to help. um, And that can have its own reason, right? Um, But yeah, I mean, it's all about making sure that the listener feels comfortable. They've developed a relationship with the host and it's 
the most authentic way to tell whatever the auxiliary branded content component is. Um, so I'm a huge proponent of post-red. Uh, there are certainly instances in which cre- doing something that's like a little more creative or whimsical that starts with the host as like the wrapper, um, but then sort of launches into something else um, could totally work. But again, depends on the client, depends on the context. Largely, though, host red is the way. Yeah. And you mentioned it's usually a requirement of uh, clients. Is that their like ask or is it you require that to be the situation? <sighs> What we've found when we're responding to RFPs is there will be questions about the host. So like, we'll say, we've got this show, The Accidental Activist, hosted by Aisha Sasei. And they'll be like, oh, tell us more about Aisha. And they want to know about Aisha's social channels. And they want to know, they want to make sure that whatever they do with her has like wraparound affinity. Um, So... So yes, it will often come from them and their interest. And then in other cases, yeah, it's a requirement. Like every term sheet that I send out to hosts includes that they're going to read ads for us for the podcast. Got it. Got it. Um, So I guess like kind of getting into the RFP side and like the flow of interest, right? Have you noticed that change at all? Um, the past few months, because you, and I want to get more into like, you mentioned it, it, it's a difficult sell a little bit more. It's, it's slightly harder to sell now than it, it was maybe, you know, in the past, but I am curious, like, is the actual like inbound volume different these days versus, you know, before this kind of economic slowdown, um, that started, I guess, May, June-ish time? Yeah. Um, yes, I, we, we're definitely getting fewer RFPs now. I'd be curious if other people have said the same thing to you. Sometimes I think that we're just not getting them again, because we're, people think of us as like a more bespoke, more custom play and they just, they don't want that. Um, or if it's something I said, (laughs) but we're definitely not getting the same flow that we used to. And usually like this time of year is the busiest time of year for us because, September is when Women's History Month planning starts to happen. And that's like, that's like our Super super Bowl. Um, And so far, I've gotten zero Women's History Month RFPs. Again, that could be because the clip at which agencies are planning ahead is also shifting. Um, I don't know. I'd love to know. I would really love to know. (laughs) Yeah, interesting. I feel like... um... And that's, I think, an area to explore further, especially, you know, for uh, companies that are more bespoke focused and and look at that custom piece, you know, as a really heavy component of your business flow. But like, I guess inbounds are, are slowing down, you mentioned, like, by what degree? So you haven't gotten anything for Women's History Month planning yet. Um, in general, though, like, is it, you know, slow down by by half estimating like what you're getting? Is it, you know, coming to an abrupt stop? Like what's the kind of Yeah. We saw very few RFPs come in the door this summer. Um summer is always slow, so it's hard to say, but I would it felt like a bit of an abrupt stop um in terms of inbound RFPs from agencies. Now, again, agencies are not our core business. 
but we still like to get them. <laughs> um, so I have heard from other friends in the space who rely entirely on CPM that they also had like the worst August that they've ever had. Um, I wouldn't say that that's true for us on our CPM shows. Like that has been relatively consistent. So I wish I could give you a tidy answer, but I feel like things are just a little bit all over the place. And a lot of this has to do with relationships. Um, And there's still a fair bit of flow in the industry. So this also means that like folks or advertisers that are traditionally advertising on TV might be cutting back on TV a little bit, but they want to spend on audio because audio is cheaper than TV or something like that. Um, So I'll be curious to see what happens over the next few months. Um, I did, as I mentioned earlier, I just got an RFP yesterday for 2023 for January. And I've been told that I'm going to get two or three more next week from agencies. So there's, there's definitely stuff there. Um, we're, and we're still getting just inbound word of mouth, people interested in building branded podcasts. Um, but I would say the flow is much more outbound these days than it was two or three years ago. Yeah. So it sounds like you've, with the outbound, like, have you needed to shift sales strategy a little bit, like be more proactive, like work with your team to, you know, I guess, incentivize those outbound asks a little bit more frequently? Like, has that strategy shifted as a result? Yeah, definitely. And also our team has changed a lot. So I used to be the only seller here. And now I have four sellers and an agency that supports us. Um, So there is just more outbound. And we also have an in-house like creative who supports with pre and post sale, um, like a creative strategist. And that's amazing because her role is just to like come up with great ideas and then we can go out and proactively pitch those, which I want to always do. Like, I don't think an outbound is bad necessarily. I just don't like to grovel. So (laughs) it's a fine line. Yeah. I was going to say it's a, it's a a tightrope, but yeah, the proactive reaching out is never a bad thing for sure. Especially with when you, when you mentioned like the relationship piece of it is so important. Um, when did all of those hires come in? I think you mentioned that in about two years, you've doubled the size of your team, but when did those specific, like, uh, you know, creative strategist roles get hired and and seller roles get filled? Yeah. So the creative strategist actually just joined our team like two months ago. So that's fairly new. Um, the other roles like in the past year and a half or so. Um, and I have like, you know, this is actually a plug. I have like four or five open sales positions. So for anybody listening, (laughs) um, it has been really hard to hire for sales recently. Like I have really struggled. I just actually wrote a story that went up uh, today for our media briefing about the, and not looking at podcasts specifically, not looking at audio, but in the media, digital media in general, there's been a need for specifically post-sale hires because the time crunch that advertisers want a campaign to launch has shrunk. And I'm curious if that's the case for you guys, but always it's like the pressure's on and you need more hands on deck, but it's interesting to hear about like how difficult it's been to, to fill these roles. And I feel like it was an employee's market for a long time. And then the economic slowdown kind of for some companies made them halt, um, to a degree, hiring a little bit, but there's been specific focus on on those sales 
like around campaign roles that I've noticed uh, a kind of across the board. Um, but yeah, so it's been, it's been difficult to find the right fit. Yeah. So I'm totally with you on the crunch being quicker once something is sold, um, always. And I think also in this moment in which, um, like producers and content creators are, um, rightfully asking for more support and trying not to have their own kind of scope creep, having like campaign support. So again, it's not just on the producer to come up with the creative, but there's actually a sales enablement kind of person um, to help. It's really important. But in terms of just like hiring sellers, we're compete. It's the same way that like programmatic is killing us in certain ways on the advertising side. Like it's also killing us when it comes to hiring sellers, because if I were, you know, five to eight plus years out of college and had a job at Spotify paying me 200K base and unlimited upside, and you can just like check the boxes and easily sell deals to Coca-Cola and P&G and whatever, like why would I ever want to go work at a startup, even though it's mission driven and they're amazing and it's like really cool and it's like all women and whatever. Like, why would I want to go there and get, you know, an 100K base and way more potential upside, but it's all an uphill battle. Um, It takes a unique type and I just can't compete with the salaries and I can't compete with like six months paternity. I wish I could. Um, So, yeah, I I think part of this is just like, it's hard to run a startup. Um, But I think in this particular market where you know, there's a downturn at the moment, the security of being at a place like Spotify where they know that the, those IOs are just going to keep coming in. Um, it's just a, it's a security issue. Yeah. I think there is an argument too of working for a big, a bigger company, especially in tech that it, it, I don't necessarily think like job security is always the case. Like, you know, the bigger companies are the ones that like will have a sweeping layoff versus, you know, a yeah. few underperforming roles. Like there's there's an argument, right? That's like true. and I think the mission driven, like people want to feel satisfied in their work. So, you know, I I understand what you're saying. I'm I'm hopeful for you that, Thank that you. doesn't stay the case. Um but okay, and I know we're we're coming to the end of the conversation, but I did want to ask too about that kind of uh, post-campaign execution um, kind of KPI measuring conversation. Has that also gotten more tricky to navigate with advertisers at all? Um, one of the other, I guess, stories I've been following is that there is a big, there's a lot of pressure to prove that the money spent on a campaign is delivering on what, you know, uh, the advertising team is, you know, going after, right? So, like, agencies have been asking for more intense KPIs uh, at the advertisers' ask, and then the advertisers obviously need to prove their budgets. I feel like that's been more so on the consumer-focused side. I know you do a lot of, like, business-focused advertising as well, but, like, for the uh, Mercedes-Benz, for example, like, in that group, are you seeing, you know, more intense asks for proving out, like, you know, 
the effectiveness of a campaign these days? Or has that not really shifted at all for you? I, I, it doesn't feel like it's shifted that much for us over time. And again, I think that's because of how we position ourselves. Um, it's not to say that we don't get, you know, requests for screenshots of downloads. We do, and we provide them. Um, but if the if from the outset we say that the goal of the campaign is that we want to see X measurement and brand lift, like that's we're going to go about the entire campaign such that we're going to succeed there. Um, so I think part of it is just like managing expectations at the outset. And I will say, because we have a small team, um, we're 26 people, there's four sellers. Like, it's not like what you'll get at a really large media company where sales will promise the world and editorial gets pissed at them. We certainly have, like every, you know, there's always a little bit of kerfuffle, but, um, we work so closely together that we ensure that what we're selling is something that we can actually achieve. Um, and because of that, I, I don't feel like there's been increased scrutiny, but again, I don't work that much with agencies and so it could be just not for us. Got it. Awesome. Well, that takes us to the end of the episode. Um, thank you so much for joining us and for being candid about what you're seeing in the podcasting industry right now and really sharing a deep look at your business. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Digiday podcast. Thank you to everyone for listening. And please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts if you like. We'll be back next week with another episode. 